Our second reading this morning comes from Joshua chapter 1. I will read the first two verses. Hear the word of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Believe the promises and obey the commands. Believe the promises and obey the commands. It's a simple formula for success and happiness as children of God. Believe the promises and obey the commands. The promises are what God says that He will do, what God says He will do for us, and the commands are what God tells us to do, what God tells us to do for Him. There is an essential connection between the promises and the commands. In Deuteronomy, we read, If you obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of earth. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. This passage from Deuteronomy, given right after the law has been delivered on Mount Sinai, says that God's people, if they obey God's commands, will enjoy God's blessings. It's God's promise. Believe the promises and obey the commands. Sometimes God's promises are an incentive to obey God's commands. And sometimes God's promises are what give us the courage we need to obey God's commands. Usually it's easy to know the right thing to do. Usually we have a pretty good idea of what God expects of us. But that doesn't mean that it's always easy to do the right thing. There is a cost to Christian discipleship. We pay a price to follow Jesus. Now that price is a bargain when we understand all the blessings promised to us both in this life and in the life to come. But I wouldn't be telling the truth if I said that following God is always easy. Sometimes when we're tempted, we really have to screw up our courage and bite the bullet and do the thing that we know is right, even if we really want to do the other thing. Here's what we read in the Gospel of Mark. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There is a price to pay. We can't deny that. But as it turns out, that price is quite a bargain, actually. Things really do go better when we obey God. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That, of course, was precisely the deal that Satan had offered to Jesus during his 40-day fast in the wilderness that he could have anything in the world, everything that the world had to offer, if only he would stop obeying God. There is a price to pay for obeying God's law, but God's promises encourage us as we step into that obedience. Listen to some of these promises that we have. Jesus said, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we're doing God's work, God will take care of us completely. That's God's promise. In Hebrews we read, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I love that line, by the way. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. And then Jesus, facing his own execution, says to his followers, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may... Also be where I am. I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on living with Jesus in a place that he has prepared especially for me. In chapel at Valley Christian School, I've been preaching through First John. And this past week, we read this wonderful promise. This is love for God to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The promise is that we will overcome the world. And by world here, John means our own flesh with its sinful desires, as well as opposition by the evil one who is always trying to get us into trouble and to get us to turn away from God. We have victory over the flesh. We have victory over evil. We have overcome the world. But notice how the promise of victory is connected to obedience to God's commands. Commands that John tells us are really not burdensome. Are really not that hard. And then there's the parable of the talents. In which Jesus gives us a picture 
of what it will be like to have lived this life in obedience and then to meet God face to face as we all will one day. That's when we're going to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Those are just a few of the promises that we read in the New Testament. Promises for us. Believe the promises and obey the commands. This week I'm beginning a new series of sermons. We're going to work our way through the book of Joshua. Many of the stories in this book, including the one about the Walls of Jericho are very familiar to you. This book is an historical account of the settling of the promised land by the children of Israel. It's been more than 600 years since God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and that that nation would have its own land to call home. The great thing, of course, about God's promises is that they are always fulfilled Not necessarily as quickly as we want, but always in God's good timing. Joshua was Moses' assistant during the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness. He was the general. In the very first battle, the people of Israel ever fought a battle against the Amalekites. You probably remember this story too. It happens just a couple of months after the Israelites have escaped out of Egypt. They've not even gotten to Mount Sinai yet. And they're pounced upon by the Amalekites who want to destroy them. Here's what we read in Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow... I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Remember that story? By the end of the day, the Israelites win the battle. And then in verse 14, we read this interesting editorial comment. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Two important things to notice in this editorial comment. First, Joshua is the first leader of the Israelite nation whose connection with God will be through the written word of God, through the scriptures, through the Torah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the patriarchs all had A direct line of communication with God. But during Joshua's lifetime, the written word of God, the Torah, is given to the people of God. And from that time on, the normal 
And the definitive understanding of God's will comes through Scripture, from God's written word. Which is why God tells Moses to write down this story about the defeat of the Amalekites so that that memory will not be lost. Even the prophets who come after Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, their primary job was to remind the people of God what God had already said to them in his law. Their primary job is to tell the people to remember and to obey the will of God as has been revealed in the Torah. So beginning with Joshua and continuing up to this very day, God's primary means and regulative means of communicating with his people is through Holy Scripture. God tells Moses to write down this story so that one day Joshua will read it and remember what happened and be encouraged. The second thing to notice here is the importance of writing things down so that the whole people of God might remember them in the future. The children of Israel have just had their very first military encounter in their history as a people. It was a strange victory. The Israelites weren't looking for trouble, but the Amalekites jumped them. And so the Israelites strike back. Young Joshua leads the troops, old Moses gives the orders and then goes up on the hill and watches from on high. And the power for the Israelites to win clearly comes from God. Which we see in this strange miracle of the Israelites winning whenever Moses' hands were up. God tells Moses to write this story down so that the people of God won't forget. Believe it or not, remembering what God has done for us in the past is part of our religious duty. It's part of the worship that we owe to God. And it's part of what gives us confidence whenever we face new troubles. And yes, there will always be new troubles in this life. When God gives us a victory, we should write down the details of those events while they're still fresh in our minds. Usually when we come through some hair-raising encounter with trouble, the last thing we're thinking about is writing it all down. Mostly we're just wiping our brows and catching our breath. But how great would it be if we were to more often record where we see God at work in our lives and in the life of our church. I think every church should have a church historian. Not just someone who records the minutes of the session meetings, but someone who is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Who can see the hand of God in the life of the congregation. God is doing wonderful things all around us all of the time. God is at work. And if we were to write those things down, we would then remember them. We would then look back on them. We would then be encouraged by them. We would then have greater confidence as we move forward. It's not only for our good to record what God has done in our lives. It's also 
to honor God. God does so many things for us, so many amazing things, and we hardly say boo about it. We act as though it's no big deal. Or maybe that we deserve it all, which really is kind of ungrateful of us. So if we were to write down what God has done, we could then do a better job of thanking God and singing His praises. Monday is Memorial Day, the day we remember those who died in military service to this country. How awful would it be if we took no notice of those who had made the ultimate sacrifice? How awful would it be if we didn't remember their names? What we find in the book of Joshua, what we will discover in the months ahead as we carefully work our way through this history, is that our best life as followers of Jesus Christ happens when we do two things. When we remember God's promises and when we obey God's commands. It often turns out that remembering God's promises is precisely what we need to give us the courage to obey God's commands. The book opens with these daunting words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. For 40 years... This is what the people of God have been waiting for. For 40 years, God held the children of Israel in the Sinai Desert until He was ready to loose them into the promised land. God's preserving work, His saving work for all of the descendants of Abraham during those 40 years and during the past 600 years has been... Wonderful, but now God is ready to lead his people into a new level of blessedness. And he's called Joshua, who grew up wandering around in the wilderness with Moses, he's called Joshua to lead the people forward. God's promise is clear. I am giving this land to my people. I just need you, Joshua, to be an obedient servant and a faithful shepherd. In the coming months, we will watch Joshua and we'll watch the people of God in action. And we're in for an exciting ride, that's for sure. So can I bring this home for just a moment? Can I bring this discussion back here to Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church? We are a remarkable And a distinctive congregation. God planted us here on the side of Huntington Pike more than 150 years ago. I want to talk about us for just a minute. Throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God describes His relationship with His people in shepherding terms. He describes Himself as a shepherd, as a good shepherd. 
And he describes his people as sheep, as his sheep, as sheep who know his voice and as sheep whose names he knows. Do you ever think about the fact that God knows your name? And I don't mean that God knows your name because he knows everything. I mean that God knows your name if you belong to him. That God knows your name because he's written your name into the book of life. That's what the Bible tells us. He knows your name because he's written your name on the palm of his hands. That's what the Bible tells us. I enjoy doing genealogical research, and every once in a while I'll turn up a new name. The name of a person who's part of my family. A person I've never heard about before, but a person who's connected to me by blood kinship. I know some of the people in my family, but God knows all of the people in his family. He's got the complete list. He has the complete genealogy of the people of God because he wrote it out himself before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us. And some of the people on that list are here today. And some of them are at other churches down the road. The children of God gathered into families and into congregations, into sheepfolds where they are cared for by under-shepherds. By assistance to the good shepherd. That's what the word pastor means, you know. Pastor means shepherd. And part of God's providential care for this congregation through a century and a half has been the provision of pastors. One after the other in an unbroken string who have believed the Bible and have received it as the authoritative and inspired word of God. Like Joshua, your pastors can only understand God's will for this congregation by looking into the written word of God. It's not personal inspiration or worldly wisdom that makes a mere mortal into a pastor. It's only the Word of God that allows one human to be the shepherd to another human. Because it's only the Word of God which has the words of life that we need. It's a daunting and it's a humbling responsibility for me to be your pastor. It's easy for me to love you. But it's daunting to feed you week by week. To lead you year after year. And I can't do that. In my own strength. Which is why the sheep need always to be praying for their shepherd. Not for my benefit, but for yours. Now let me confess to you where I have fallen short as your shepherd. There have been times when I have not done the right thing as your pastor. And every time I failed to do the right thing, it was because I was afraid. There have been times here at HVPC when I knew what I should do. 
as your shepherd, as your pastor, as a public preacher, there have been times when I knew what I should do and didn't do it. And in each one of those cases, it wasn't a question of lacking wisdom. It was a question of lacking courage. You see, when you're a leader, it's your job to make calls and to make decisions that not everyone likes. You have to say, we're going over to this pasture today. And some of the sheep will say, no, I'd rather stay over here. And sometimes the people who don't like what you are convinced and good conscience needs to be done, sometimes those people have real teeth and they can bite. And so you demure, you pussyfoot, you avoid confrontation. And believe it or not, that's the worst thing That can happen to any flock, to any organization. No leader is 100% right. No CEO, no army general, no football coach is 100% right. And no pastor is 100% right either. And they don't need to be. As it turns out, you only need to be 51% right to win the game. But leaders do need to make choices and to move forward and to do what needs to be done without fear and without hesitation. And I've not always been that kind of pastor. The truth is most pastors are not that kind of pastor. Most pastors have been trained by their congregations to not make any hard choices, to not ruffle any feathers, to not upset the status quo. And the sheep are worse for it. The Reverend Dr. Ken Pretty from the EPC's Go Center was with us this past week. He's a specialist in planting new churches and in revitalizing old churches. He has a 100% track record. Two new churches successfully planted and one old nearly dead church successfully turned around and relaunched. All three churches are alive and well and large today. In Ken's conference with us, he said that churches can either be inclining, reclining, or declining. Inclining, reclining, or declining. And only the inclining churches are growing. The other churches have plateaued or they're shrinking. If we believe the gospel mandate to go and make disciples, then we must believe that every church should be an inclining church, a growing church. But guess how many churches in America are not growing? Guess what percentage of American churches are either plateaued or shrinking? 80%. And I'll bet you my annual salary that those 80% of American churches are led by pastors who have been trained by their congregation to not make any hard decisions and to not ruffle any feathers. The sheep suffer 
when the shepherd won't lead. I know I'm not a perfect pastor. But I am the pastor that God called to this congregation. And I know that you're not a perfect congregation. But you are the congregation that I've been called to. Some of the lessons that we will learn as we walk and work through the book of Joshua in the months ahead are going to make me a better pastor. And they're going to make you a better congregation. To the glory of God. I'm really looking forward to what God has to teach us. And it starts with this simple principle. Believe the promises and obey the commands. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the good shepherd and we are the sheep of your fold. We are the sheep that you have gathered to yourself. We are the sheep whose names that you've called and we've recognized your voice and we've come to you. Father God, we pray that you would let us be good sheep. We pray that we would feed on your word and obey your commands. We pray that we would be a congregation who is desperately concerned for the sheep that are missing. For the sheep that have wandered off. For the sheep that are not in the fold. Sheep who belong to you. Lord, I pray that we would never rest content until we go out looking for them and calling them home. Lord Jesus, you have found us. You chased us down. You rounded us up. You saved us from ourselves. You saved us from the world. You saved us from flesh and sin and death and destruction. You've given us safety. You've given us meaning. You've given us promise. You've given us a future. Give us eyes and ears and hearts that see, hear, and remember the mighty deeds that you've accomplished in our lives and in the lives of the, in the life of this congregation. Lord, may we be singing your praises all of the time for where you've brought us. And may we gain confidence that you know the way forward because you've brought us so far in the past. May your track record of blessing us and protecting us and keeping us May your track record be what gives us confidence that we can trust you for tomorrow. Lord, we confess that we are inclined to depend upon ourselves and upon the powers of this world. I pray that you would wean us from that idolatry. I pray that you would bust our chops until we bow before you. Lord God, in you is our hope. 
And yet there are so many false gods who rise up and clamor for our attention and for our loyalty. Lord God, I pray that you would keep us pure. I pray that you would turn our eyes to you. I pray that we would be revulsed by anything that's false. I pray that we'd be in love with everything that is pure and true. Lord Jesus, you laid down your life for us. You made the ultimate sacrifice so that people who didn't love you and people who cursed you so that they, even they, might be rescued. And we thank you for that rescue. We did not deserve it. We didn't even look for it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue to work in us and through us to rescue more people. In our circle of friends. In the list of contacts in our iPhones. Are people who belong to you but are still outside of the fold. I pray we wouldn't rest until we reached out to them. And invited them home. I pray that your mercy. Would persist. Until they're all gathered in. And I pray that as this congregation. Grows. Under your direction. That we would bring a fuller measure. Of the worship. And honor. And glory. And thanksgiving. That you deserve. You alone are worthy. You alone are the Alpha and the Omega. You alone are God. We're not God. You've made us. We're creatures. We're only here because you've decided to not extinguish us. And we have been made to sing your praises and to enjoy you forever. And so let us do that. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. And we offer these prayers in your name. And we pray as you have taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And the power. And the glory forever. Amen. 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 Would you please stand.